May the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me, because I was found innocent in his sight. Nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. At the king's command, the men who had falsely accused Daniel were brought in and thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. And before they reached the floor of the den, the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence for the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Good morning. My name's James. I think lots of you know me, but some of you probably don't. Uh, it's nice to be here under not great circumstances, though. Lee's a good friend of mine, and he's your pastor, and we love the Hinkle family. So, but it's um, anyway. Here we are. Uh, I pastor a church called the Common. We're in Willoughby, and we're in a series on Daniel. Actually, I think I preached on Daniel here maybe a couple of months ago, didn't I? Yeah, we're still in it. I've preached on it twice. So you're getting it again. Daniel, excellent. Uh, so Daniel 6, as you can see there. So keep, keep the, the uh, reading there in front of you. That'll be helpful as I refer to it as we go along. There is no greater feeling uh, when, than when you lose something and then you find it. I mean, the anguish. The anguish when you lose something that's, that's really important to you and the euphoria when you find it. I was on a holiday last year and we went up to Exmouth. I'd never been there before. We drove up with another family and we did all the great swimming and I was in a fishing stage. I go through fishing stages um, like I go through golf stages. Um, but I mean, I was in a fishing stage and I thought, oh, I've got to go fishing while I'm up there. So I took all the rods and I'd been watching all these YouTube clips and I can't go on boats because I get sick, so I have to stand and fish. Anyway, um, one, I got myself ready. I had all the prop, proper place to go and I drove, woke up one morning while we were in Exmouth, probably the first day we were there, really early and drove the car down into this like, almost like a four-wheel drive track, really hard to get to place parked the car, looked out over to this beautiful bit of ocean, um, locked, the key, locked the car up, put the keys safely in my pocket and went out and fished for a couple of hours, caught a beautiful um, coral trout rain thing. Anyway, it was so beautiful I let it go, I couldn't keep it. Um, anyway, I finished the fishing. There was another guy out fishing and he it sort of got later in the day. It was sort of 10 o'clock and I thought that Bobby had enough. 
and went to go back in the car and this guy was walking back as well and I went to get in the car and I dropped the keys. I dropped the keys somewhere out there in the water. Like, no idea. And I hadn't taken another set key of keys with us and here I was, like, the four-wheel drive stuck. I got a lift back to my place with this other guy and Jane, my wife, who's a far better human being than me, um, as soon as she saw me, she just said, oh, what's wrong, darling? And I went, oh, oh, the anguish, the anguish of this situation. What was I going to do? <laughs> I'd lost the keys. Now, we'd l- how are we going to get the car? All of those sort of things. I felt anguish and Darius, this king, this king in today's reading is feeling a bit like, he's probably feeling worse than that actually, but it says there in verse 18 that he was uh, full of anguish. Daniel, Daniel is Darius's right-hand man. It's his right-hand man, he absolutely loves him. Daniel had exceptional qualities uh, and so much so, if you read earlier in chapter 6, if you were at the common last week, you would have heard this, um, that <laughs> uh, he was so exceptional, his talents, that he was going to be made like the prime minister of the country. And that's why we find ourselves in today's reading. Because earlier, earlier on, just a little bit of background here, early, earlier on in chapter 6, there's been a trap that was set for Daniel, by the other administrators, because Daniel's one of three administrators over the whole country, by the other administrators and other leaders, and the trap was an enforced decree in writing that came from the king. Now, just a simple definition of a decree, very simple. It's when an official order or decision is made by a ruler that is binding to all under it, including the one who makes it. So no one's above the law, yeah? So this decree was made by the king and these other guys, um, and it was feeding on Darius's ego because... What, what it was, what the decree was, that you could only worship Darius and no one else, and if you didn't worship him, you get thrown into a lion's den. And we don't need to be Einstein to know that that's a death sentence. You're thrown into the lions. But, and it's a big but, Daniel wouldn't follow the decree If you read the story, he's praying three times a day in a semi-public place with his face towards Jerusalem, which is basically saying, all all this stuff that I'm good at comes from there, not from Babylon, where I am now. And these administrators, they see it, they report it back to Darius, and Darius's hands are tied because Daniel has gone against the decree and he's worshipping the God of the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of Israel. Um, the God of the Israelites. And so with great anguish, Darius, who loved Daniel, very reluctantly has him thrown into the lion's den. He has a stone, says they're placed over the entrance of the den, and he seals the entrance officially with his signet ring. Boom, this is an official thing. And Daniel's left, probably in pitch darkness, 
waiting for the jaws of the lions to just finish him. Daniel would rather be eaten by lions than pray only to Darius. Verse 18 says that Darius's anguish is so deep that he can't eat, he can't have any entertainment, and he can't sleep. My ideal night is all three of those. So, I mean, I'm a pretty simple man. Uh, if I, my ultimate night, all right, is this. Eat Thai at home, watch a Netflix series with my wife, like a, like a British crime thing. I like that. And then sort of go to bed by 9.30 and sleep 10 hours and not have to get up to use the toilet. Those days are probably gone, to be honest. But that's like, that's my ultimate, that's my ultimate night. And Darius has got none of it. No food, no Netflix, and no sleep. But as soon as this sun rises, and we're told in verse uh, 19 and 20, Darius is up yelling for Daniel, are you alive? Are you alive? Imagine the relief when he hears in verse 22, Daniel say, may the king live forever. I mean, that's a little stroke of the ego, isn't it? It's a nice thing to say. My God, it says in verse 22, sent his angel and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. Lost but found. Whew. Lost but found. Jane and I tried to find the keys. Like We went to the police station. I went to the post office. They couldn't get it for a week later. They wouldn't be able to send up my other set of keys from here, um, which meant that I'd have to pay thousands. You know how expensive it is to stay in Exmouth. You know, it's just like, oh, what am I going to do here? I eventually got on to a, a, I think it was Toll, the company, and a lady who was just wonderful who helped me. And eventually the, I did, I got my poor sister had to drive and get into my house and get our other set of keys and got back within about 24 hours from when I lost the keys. And when the poor courier came in, I nearly kissed him. Um, and then I grabbed the keys and then we drove out, got the car. Oh, mate, the feeling. The great euphoric feeling. I was overjoyed. And Darius is overjoyed. Verse 23, the king, it says, was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in God. And Darius, is, he's so overjoyed that he actually writes another decree. So this chapter starts with a decree and it finishes with another decree, which is totally in contrast to the first decree. And we can read it there in verse 26. It says this, I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and have reverence uh, for the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. God rescues and he saves. He rescues and he saves. And that's plain true. Verse 23, it seems plain as day. When Daniel was lifted from the den... No wound or scratch or anything was found on him because, why? He trusted in God. 
And so the moral of the story, and you've read it a thousand times, and if you've been in Sunday school, and if you've been a Christian, and you've heard it preached, is this. The moral of the story is this. Be like Daniel, and trust in God, and not a scratch will be left on you, for God will rescue you from all the lions that you ever face in your life. And I call this, and I'll refer to it from now on, as the more faith and trust doctrine. Okay, the more faith and trust doctrine. Just be trusting and be faithful and you won't get divorced. There'll be no physical or sexual abuse, no abandonment. Just trust and be faithful. There'll be no addiction or bullying or teasing or suicide. Just trust and be faithful and there'll be no self-harm. There'll be no termination of employment. There'll be no poverty. There'll be no miscarriages. There'll be no cancer in your kids. Just trust and be faithful and none of that will happen to you. Now, these are tragedies and I might have met, I might have just said several that have happened to you. Some of them have happened to me and there's worse that's happened, I'm sure. And they leave wounds, massive lion wounds in our soul and in our heart. Not just scratches, but deep wounds. They rip at our hearts until despair and darkness can come over us and we feel hopeless. So what do we do? And we can go into pretty, some pretty dark places. Because the moral story, trust and be faithful, doesn't stand up. We've all had people who have told us that, actually. More faith and trust and you'll be right. It's actually the only thing you've got, if you're not a Christian, by the way. If you don't believe in a God, it's all you've got. But even Christians teach it. Pastors teach it. This week I was at a church leaders meeting with church planting planters and one woman was sharing about how she'd been trying to plant these churches over the last five years tragedy after tragedy nothing's ever worked she's got nothing and one guy stood up and said just did, did this basically and just said success is around the corner and some of you are thinking that's all right it's not it's horrendous The more I get around churches in Perth, the more I often hear this sort of rubbish, this theology, this doctrine of more faith and more trust and you'll be okay. What happens if things aren't all right? Abandonment happens. Cancer strikes. Divorce occurs. What happens if success never comes? What happens if you lose your job, your house, you're bullied, you're teased. Will God rescue you like he did Daniel? Is that what we're supposed to take away? Because I think we can have, and I'm sure there's more and you can think of them, but at least two responses to this. Two responses that we can have to the more faith and trust doctrine. Number one is that we double down on it and we teach it and it produces pride 
pharisaicalism, yeah? And the best way to do it is on social media. Look at my family, look how well we're doing, look how good this is, but really, it's horrendous. And the problem also is when we double down on it, we can double down on it and actually be the one who's the victim from this theology. Because life doesn't go all right and you've got chunks out of you and you're wobbly and the lines haven't stopped, actually, and you blame yourself and you think, I don't have enough faith and some pastor's telling you that's right and it's horrendous. Another response when the lines of life take a chunk is to hide from God. That's the other way of doing it. And this, this can happen in a number of ways. Like our first parents, we make fig leaves and we hide in bushes from God. We put on coping mechanisms and then we hide in from God and the best way to hide from Him is deny that He lives and that He's alive. To deny God is the best way to get him out of your life and not believe in him. And I can understand that if you've got chunks out of your life. I totally get it. And I also totally get it because here's a more subtle way. We make God more and more in our image. And I get that too. When you, because the pain is so horrendous that's what's happened to you, that to actually bring it to God, you don't know who he is anymore. And so you start making God like you. And one of the subtle ways of doing it is to make, is to fall, what's, to fall for what's called deism, which is a heresy that tells you that God spins the world and he's not in it at all. He just lets it run. It's another way we do it. And I can understand why we do that. But it, the, the result of it, the result of not having an interventionist God, a God who will come into your life, is so much pain because you will and I will go for every other good thing that God's given us, searching for only what God can give. And those good things, they can be your partner, they can be good things in your life, they can be bad things, but they can be good things, will become ultimate things and they will strangle you because they won't give you what you need. You can only get from God. My wife Jane can't love me like God can love me. She can't. And one day I'll lose her or she'll lose me. It's a, she's a great thing. I should love her lots. I should love Lee Hinkle lots, but one day he will die. That actually will happen. But the saints keep going. They keep marching on because God doesn't die. He doesn't die. So, how, how does the, the more faith and trust doctrine compare with John the Baptist, who Jesus called the greatest man that ever lived, because he had great faith, yet he had his head hacked off at the whim of a dancing girl. 
I mean, that's a huge line wound. What about Paul, the greatest church planter evangelist ever? Read his story. He's probably in jails up to his ankles in feces, actually, and he's singing hymns to God. I mean, he says it in 2 Corinthians 11, he says, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received the Jews, the 40 lashes, minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I've laboured and toiled and have gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked beside everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now, that would be a interesting vision statement for our church wouldn't it come enjoy jesus and this is what happens talk about lion wounds you know there are many men and women in scripture who the wounds are terrible for many but i know somebody who is more innocent than daniel i know someone who trusted god way more than Daniel did. I know somebody else who was thrown in a den. I know somebody else who had a stone rolled over him. I know someone else who was filled with wounds. All types of scratches on him. So if the more faith and trust doctrine is so bad, why do we even have this story? simple really in one sense it's a one-off see you've got to remember daniel's been ripped out of his home read his life it's actually not very nice Uh, he's been part of the biggest human trafficking thing we know of thousands and thousands of people pulled out of their homeland to live in a strange land displaced had his identity changed had his name changed threats of death then you can just read chapter 7 to 12 of Daniel. The main theme, or one of the main themes, is that God's people aren't always saved from lion's dens. So it's a one-off. But still, I actually think there are two greater reasons why this story of Daniel has been given to us. I think they're really important. Why? These, these two reasons are really important. The first one is this. This story, number one, points to the salvation that God is going to do in the future. That's the first thing. And number two, it points to the salvation that has already been done for us in the past. Salvation in the future and salvation in the past. That's what this story is really about. See, this is an 80-year-old Daniel. And he's walking around with lions in the dark, probably patting them because their mouths have been closed. An 80-year-old bloke, because God uses the weak, because if that's you, you, you you're, you're right, you're in good hands. He uses the marginalised and the least and the lost. That's who he uses. If you're feeling like that this morning, you're in Daniel's company. So what's God telling us? 
We read of Rory Lyons in the book of Psalms. You can see it in, in Psalm 7, 10, 57, and over and over again. And it's a symbol of the, the disharmony of nature. It's, it represents, roaring lions represents suffering and danger. So when he closes their mouths of the lions, Daniel's walking around, it's like God is he's giving a glimpse into the future. Because we know in Isaiah that one day, it says in Isaiah 11, one day God is going to wipe this all clean, this world we live in. The universe will be restored and suffering and danger will be gone. And it says this, this is what Isaiah writes, he says, the wolf will live with the lamb, the, lef- the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, the young will lie down together, and listen to this, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. What's he saying? He's saying, I'm going to flip it. I'm going to make it, I'm going to restore out of chaos. I'm going to take away all the pain. I'm going to wipe every tear. Chaos will be ordered and there'll be nothing but harmony and our bodies will be right and we will be able to sleep 10 hours without having to go to the toilet. That's actually going to happen. I know, it's true. It's actually going to happen. And hearts won't need stents. That's what's going to happen. But also this story points to salvation in the past. Daniel, Daniel says, says to Darius that God sent his angel. Do you remember the furnace? Chapter 3, it's a similar story. Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And there was a fourth man in the furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar said that he saw him and he looks like a son of God. Different commentators disagree on this, but they, all of them will say this symbolises Jesus. I think it actually was Jesus, and I think it's Jesus in the lion's den as well. And he's not outside the den, and he's not outside the furnace. He's in it. He's actually in it. Trusted scholars and theologians point out that roaring lions not just represent suffering and chaos, but it also, it also represents the justice and the wrath of God. The Lion of Judah. We sang about him today. The Lion of Judah. Because the real Daniel, who went before the real lions that is the justice of God, he got the punishment, the wrath that we deserve on the cross, it was paid. The real Daniel, the fourth man, was Jesus Christ. The ultimate Daniel, who went into the real lion's den. So now you and I can go into little lion dens of our lives with confidence. Because our real enemy, actual real enemy, sin and Satan, 
that leads to death and separation from God for eternity has been dealt with and defeated. And that's why Paul, and I'm going to finish with this, writes this, and you've heard it, but listen to it again. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. It's God who closes the mouth of lions. Who then is the one who condemns no one? Christ Jesus, who died. He died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and he's also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship, persecution, famine or nakedness or danger or sword or any other lion? No, it's written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Jesus said, you will have trouble. He never denied it. He was up front. He said, you're going to have it. We're going to have it. There will be lions, but he... He says also in the same sentence, take heart, I've overcome the world. Put your chips on Jesus. Nothing else works. I'm sort of old enough now and I've tried them. It just doesn't work. And the, the lion wounds are nothing compared to knowing God now and being with him forever. For we do have a God who rescues now and will rescue forever because of Jesus. Amen.